You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm bereft. <laughs> My name is Stephanie. And we've just finished watching the season two finale of Orphan Black by means which have never yet been tried. And I'm bereft, Chris. I'm so bereft. I know. I can tell. <laughs> It's like a year until we get more episodes. And now you know how I felt last year. But this was like, I feel like, even more of a higher stakes cliffhanger this season than last season. Uh, Kira is safe, though. Yes. But I feel like at the end of last season, at least me, I was like, Mrs. S probably has got her. Like, I felt pretty pretty, pretty confident that Kira was okay. I mean, I thought she probably was, but... That doesn't mean I don't worry, Stephanie. That's fair, but, like, Cosima's still sick. Cosima was sick last year, too, Stephanie. I know, but she's sicker! <laughs> I know, I know, I'm giving you a hard time. Cosima's <laughs> still sick. We've got Helena kidnapped by military people. You should have seen the gesture that went with that, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we have been drinking a little, so this might be the worst or the best episode of... Tatiana is everyone that you've ever listened to, future audience. Apologies in advance. Uh, yes, yes. But, okay. So the title from this episode, as we mentioned last week, it, it directly follows the title of last week's episode. It's from the aphorism section of the new Organon. I hope they switch to a different scientist next season like they do, <laughs> because <laughs> Francis Bacon is long-winded and his phrases don't make sense to me. <laughs> They are unusually phrased, but, you know, I, I can't judge because anybody who's gotten from an email from me probably knows I am long-winded. Well, I was going to say I, I tend to phrase things a little oddly. Oh, okay. Not intentionally, but, well, I guess that's less email and more podcasts because usually I can fix it in an email and I'm doing it now. See? <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so for the finale, I felt like... They, they had all of the, like, tense stuff at the beginning, and while there was a lot of cliffhangery stuff at the end, there was less... It was less tense, which I thought was an interesting choice. It did wind down, which I kind of appreciate. Me because- too! <laughs> <laughs> I was very stressed out the first part of the episode. It was. You sound a little stressed out now. Fair enough. Miss Bereft. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just going to refer to you from now on as bereft. That's fine. Since that's how you introduced yourself. Yeah, and I'm just Stephanie B on Twitter, so that could be what the B stands for. You don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. Okay. (laughs) But the episode begins with this really intense argument between... Mrs. S and Sarah intercut with Sarah being interviewed and asked these really invasive questions about her medical history by some meanie head dyad guy. <laughs> or a doctor. <laughs> meanie head dyad guy. I stand by my assessment. No, no, but I mean, they're the same questions that you get with, you know, doctors, basically. I know, I know. Which is, again, sort of interesting. I don't know that, that they... I've ever been asked, though, if I've, ever, if I've had an abortion on, like, just standard well, okay. doctor's documentation. That's true. They, they were extra invasive. but Nor I think sexual at least, orientation. I think at least half of those things I've he- at least heard of people saying that, or, or giving blood or something, that they're... Some of those, at least, are, are fairly standard questions. Story, though. I have never been asked about my sexual orientation on a medical history, but I was asked 
if I regularly had sexual uh, intercourse with people who were bisexual or sex workers. And I was like, you should not put those two categories in one question. That just, no, that's not good. I think that is what it was that a friend of ours was talking about having given blood and was asked that same question, which, yeah. wow. Yeah. They need to, they need to separate those two categories there. I, I must, I, I need to comment. I made Chris laugh so hard that she is crying a little bit now. <laughs> it's not unusual. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting, the argument between Mrs. S and Sarah, because I've been waiting all week to see how people would react to what happened to Kira. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping they wouldn't get into some big argument, but it just felt so genuine that they did. But then in the middle of it, Sarah's just like, this is ridiculous. We're both, like, worried out of our minds here. I just need to hug her. I did love that. I was so tense about their arguing, which is understandable to me. They're, they're arguing. I mean, why wouldn't they? They're, again, tensions are high. They're worried out of their minds about Kira as they would be. So, yeah, I like that we got the both both sides of it, that it was the argument that resulted in... You know, I, I realize, I recognize that you're just as worried as I am, so. Because it totally made sense for them as people, as characters, to just, their immediate reaction to be to just argue at each other and be like, well, Sarah should, you know, Kira shouldn't have been there in the first place. She put her in danger. I was gone for five minutes. You couldn't take care of her. I mean, it made complete sense for them as characters, but I loved that it ended in them recognizing that they both wanted the same thing and that they were worried. Right. Because that's not how it would have resolved when the series began, you know? So we do get to see this growth in their relationship, even though Sarah says she still doesn't fully trust Mrs. S or know what side she's on. But I like that she acknowledged that whatever it is, I know you care about Kira, so. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, poor Felix is sitting there this whole oh, time. poor Felix. And I'm like, why were they at a hospital where Felix was drugged? And then they took him back to Mrs. S's house and then Mrs. S is like, I should take him to get checked out. Yeah, that was a little probably set convenience that they didn't want to pay for this <laughs> hospital know. set for this episode. But but yes, good point. But yes, poor Felix saying, I should have known. Oh, this show, you guys. <laughs> and it was so difficult seeing Sarah being asked these completely invasive questions. We've said it before, but I feel like this season they've really doubled down on the clone experiment being a vehicle for exploring how women's bodies are treated as not their own in many ways in society on sort of a day-to-day -day basis and in a larger, more, you know, legal, legalized, politicized type of way as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I thought it was really interesting that we got to hear some of the answers to the questions they were asking Sarah, but we didn't get to hear others. We didn't get to hear her answer to what her sexual orientation was or if she'd ever used intravenous drugs. Mm-hmm. But we did get to hear her answer to, like, using birth control. And she she did say that she had had an abortion, which I thought was an interesting choice on the writer's part. It is. Because, sadly, women who have had abortions are often demonized in this culture. They aren't usually the heroes of our stories. And yet Sarah very much is the hero of this story. Yep. I mean, the, the whole thing with Sarah, too, it makes sense in the context of the character that that she would have done that at some point. I mean, it's it's not out of character. Mm -hmm. And I like that it wasn't just a question she could answer super easily, that she had to take a moment and she gave this very emotional yes when she did respond. Right. So, 
upsetting, but at the same time, kind of interesting from a learning about our main character perspective that we got this little interrogation of Sarah by the dyad meanie heads. Yes. Uh, and the whole, my name is Sarah Manning, and this is my unconditional surrender. And as she's saying, she's handcuffed, you yes. guys. How unconditional can it be if she's handcuffed is always my thought. Yeah. No, not cool. Again, commentary on yeah. on stuff. Mm-hmm. And the handcuffs are brought up again very pointedly when Dr. Nealon, stupid Dr. Nealon, was trying to get her quote-unquote consent to a procedure, and she points out the fact that she's handcuffed. What type of, you know, do you really need my consent here? Mm-hmm. 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 Stupid doctor. I just want to hit him at his stupid face. Terrible. <laughs> Stephanie has a lot of feelings this week, you guys. <laughs> it's partially the vodka, but mostly the finale. <laughs> <laughs> it's good vodka, though, right? It is. It's <laughs> Tito's handmade vodka from Austin, Texas. <laughs> anyway. We did not get paid to plug that. (laughs) And speaking of dyad meaning heads, Rachel's just full on horrible this week. I really do want to have sympathy for her because, again, I recognize that she's been just as abused by the clone experiment as any of the other clones. She's, you know, just as sort of desperate for for herself and for, for various things in her life as any of the other clones. But she's just so awful, Chris. Well, and here's what makes it worse. Kira doesn't trust her. Yes. Which means we can't trust her. No. Because Kira knew that Helena was okay. And Helena has been awesome. And we know Kira loves Helena. So, yeah, untrusting Kira over anything else. And Kira doesn't trust Rachel. And with good reason. But (laughs) thanks to Kasima and Scott, Sarah managed to take her out, or at least take out her eye. Deserved, deserved it. it. <laughs> I love that you've adopted my <laughs> phrasing. Deserved it. Well, it's it's appropriate, I think. Yeah. So yes, I think we are going to get an eye patch, Rachel, next season. It's entirely possible. And you know, I think it'll be a good addition to her look because <laughs> she was villainous before, and the eye patch will just up the villainy. It depends on what kind of eye patch she gets, I think. Though, okay, she is in Dyad, and they're all about advancement of super Ooh. secret stuff, so maybe they'll make her an eye. She'll have one white bionic eye. Ha <laughs> there we go. She'll be a freaky leaky. She will. <laughs> I do have to say, when Rachel got her eye taken out, I... Couldn't help thinking about Helena and her comment that she gave that one nun darkness. <laughs> yes, Rachel got half darkness. Right. But, but yes, we see, we see Sarah and Helena employing similar means toward their enemies. I did not think that thing was going to hit her in the eye. Yeah, I thought it was going, I didn't realize it was, I should have, but I didn't realize a pencil was going to shoot out of it. I thought the, just the metal rod might shoot somewhere and like impale oh. somebody. But it made more sense because then I was thinking, oh, yeah, they were sharpening pencils during the montage. Right. Well, and anybody who saw the posters that the orphan black people have been posting, the, they have sort of graphic posters for every they're beautiful. episode. They are. They're really cool. And the one for this episode was a bloody pencil. So I knew that was going to happen. Okay. I didn't see it this week. I saw last week's jackhammer, but mm, I did not mm-hmm. see the pencil this week. Okay. Yeah. Again, I, I knew somebody was going to get stabbed with a pencil. I didn't expect it to be shot out of a fire extinguisher thing, but uh, that reminded me of um, salt. You ever see salt? I've not. Oh, okay. 
Anyway, there's a scene in Salt where... I don't watch as many u- movies as you do, sadly. Okay. Fair enough. But yeah, the, the main character in Salt constructs like a weapon out of office supplies. And so there's like a whole thing with a fire extinguisher. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But this is where my mind goes during the episode. But Rachel, speaking of trying to manifest some sympathy for Rachel, we do have... When she's making the puppy almost cry in the elevator, when she's telling Delphine that she's sending her to Frankfurt, you know, Delphine makes the comment about, you know, you have everything you wanted, and Rachel corrects her to say everything Dyad wanted. So we do have this sense that Rachel is aware of the fact that she is a pawn of Dyad, that Mm -hmm. her life is the way that it is because Dyad has molded it in this way. Well, she did say that she was raised self-aware, so there is actual self-awareness. To some extent. But I thought that exchange did indicate some resentment on Rachel's part toward toward Dyad, perhaps. But at the same time, she's still carrying out Dyad's mission, being awful, horrible in this episode. How do you really feel, Stephanie? I know, I'm being very subtle about it. But then later- And gesturing a lot. (laughs) But later in the episode, you know, we get another attempt to sort of, like, foster some sympathy for Rachel after Ethan Duncan has swallowed whatever poisonous tea he made himself. And, and you know, he's dying, and she's saying, you can't leave me again, and she's hitting him, and it's wonderfully acted, and, you know, kudos to Tatiana Maslany, but I'm just like, yeah, you don't deserve him anymore. Duncan's right. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm heartless, I guess. <laughs> well, you're sympathetic to Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> More than, you know, Rachel. Or because Ethan. Ethan, I should say, since they're technically both, both Duncans. Duncan. Professor Duncan. But, but yeah, because you just see the loss that this man is feeling to see how his daughter that he loves so much has turned out. Mm-hmm. It's really heartbreaking. It's It's sad. And Rachel does make me sad, but, you know, it's one of those things. I'm sad for the eight-year-old that we see in the home movies. Mm-hmm. Adult Rachel gets very little sympathy. Yeah, yeah. But at the, yeah, and it's just so, it's so interesting because when you compare Rachel to Helena, Rach- Helena has all my sympathy. Like, I love Helena. I want to, like, wrap her up in a little blanket and snuggle with her if she'd let me. <laughs> Rachel. She might. She might. Now, she's a lot more calm. <laughs> she is. Well, you know, keep Kira in the room with you. It's true. <laughs> and then she'll just talk about eating off your finger or something instead of actually, actually doing, doing it. it. Yeah. But yeah, so so Helena, blanket snuggles, please. But but Rachel, no, not no blank, blanket snuggles with Rachel. Yeah, I'm not well, entirely sure what I would do to Rachel, but it would not be a kind thing. But I'm not a violent person. <laughs> would you try to out cold shoulder her? Probably. I wouldn't offer her any food or beverage if she came to my house. So take that. <laughs> <laughs> as mad as you've been at her, that is hilarious to me. <laughs> I'm Southern. <laughs> That's like the ultimate <laughs> of disses. <laughs> I am also Southern, but I was raised more Midwestern. <laughs> Which is actually not that different. But anyway. Yeah, Rachel's the worst. She's the worst. <laughs> and I'm not sorry that she got a pencil in the eye. Because yeah, she threw... Really. Kira's donated bone marrow, Cosima's treatment, on the ground and stomped on it. Do you know how much Kira hurts for that? Uh, yes! Kira, you do not touch Kira. Rule of Crone Club. Kira, you leave alone. You cannot come back from that, Rachel. All of your gesturing is making me think that you might be very drunk. <laughs> I'm not very drunk, I promise. 
Just emotional? Yes, I'm just emotional. Okay. Alcohol plus intense finale. It just makes me gestury. Deal with it. <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> I say as I duck because your arm is flying at me. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kind of. So in the background, Kira being awesome Kira fakes being all, no, I don't want cotton in my mouth so that she can steal the nurse's phone because Kira is the best and she's very smart and calls Cal back into the picture. And that made me super happy that Cal came back. Yes, it turns out Kira is at least as resourceful as her mother is, Mm -hmm. which just makes me so happy. And I mean, we knew that that was going to come into play again, that because Cal said to her, you remember the number we practiced and all that stuff. So, of course, they don't do that unless they're going to follow through on it if they're, you know, good writers. <laughs> Such is the rule of narrative, right? So, yeah, I'm I'm pleased that they did bring that back around. And fortunately, Cal had info. Yes, Cal being Cal, paranoid and very smart. <laughs> he'd been doing- Like a clone club. Exactly. He'd been doing his research and figured out the whole, gi- you know, genetic identical- thing and had recently <laughs> i love when he was st- showing mrs s all of the Here, here's what diet looks like and this and this and this i can use the internet cow <laughs> <laughs> no you can't <laughs> but yeah so so cal comes back and he's awesome and i love i love when mrs s and felix are having a fight over felix not telling him about cal and he's all you really really we want to get into keeping secrets here we're gonna get into an <laughs> argument about this huh <laughs> Yay, Felix, for calling her on the secret keeping. Uh, oh, Mrs. S, international badass. And not only has Cal done all the research, he's found an insider in Dyad. And it turns out to be Marion Bowles, and it makes me really happy. Yes. And then we also get a reappearance of Paul. Who, yes. Who apparently has gone back to the military. Was he always... A double agent for the military? I'm unclear about this, because his phrasing is something, li- is, is something like, a lot has changed since I came back in. Well, I think because he was out on mission. Okay. In, like, deep cover mission. So. Okay. So you, from his phrasing, are, sa- are thinking that he was, was like a double agent, essentially, working for Dyad, but still being a member of the military. Yes. Okay. I think that was his mission, was to infiltrate Dyad. Okay. And that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Which is what we theorized yeah. last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that would make sense why he's sort of stuck with them for so long, even though they had blackmail on him, but why he stuck with them for so long when he could theoretically become a ghost and disappear at any moment. I still think the blackmail was set up so that they would hire Paul. Or hire. I'm finger quoting hire. Yeah, and especially if that was his mission, they could very easily have done that, put some evidence in Dyad's path that he had done something shady. Yes. And to use that against him. So so we have our two inside people. We have Paul in the military. We have Marion Bowles in the in Dyad. And they come to an arrangement where Marion Bowles is all, yeah, I can get Sarah out for you. I can get Sarah and Kara out for you, but the rest is up to Sarah. And we are super excited about Marion Bowles being the insider. We are, because we had talked about in a previous episode how it seemed like the show was very intentionally setting up the, you know, major institutions kind of wanting their way with the clones, religion, science, being headed by men. Um, and so we were curious what they were going to do with the introduction of Marion Bowles being a woman high up in Dyad. And so I really like that the woman ended up seemingly to be an ally to them. Yes. Solidarity. Yeah. <laughs> and 
So Marion Bowles says that she can get Sarah and Kara out of Dyad, but I like that even though, you know, Cal and Mrs. S and, and Paul went to great lengths to organize this for her, that they still let Cosima's rescue plan play out. And that Cosima's rescue plan basically isn't so much about saving Sarah as it is about enabling Sarah to save herself. Yes. Because I always like it when, when my main characters, especially my main female characters, because often when you have female leads in action movies, they often need a lot of help from like other people and they don't save their, themselves all that much. But Sarah does. This is really tangential. Did you ever watch Gem as a kid? No, I did not. Gem and the Holograms? Because I have rewatched it as an adult, and the thing is, Jem is constantly getting into trouble. Not necessarily intentionally, but, you know, people are always after her. She never saves herself. She always gets saved by somebody else, and it drives me crazy as an adult. Because that's something I appreciated when I first started watching Fringe, is that we see Olivia Dunham get captured twice by people, and she saves herself both times. Like, thank you. She's a freaking FBI agent. She should be able to do that. She shouldn't need, you know, the other characters whose names I can't remember right now to come save her. <laughs> I've watched relatively little of Fringe, but I watched Alias, and Alias was very much like that. Yeah. So we appreciate it when women can save themselves on shows. Thank you, Orphan Black. And again, the whole women helping women thing, I'm... Down with that as well. Yes. Yes. Though Scott, Scott was the guy who was in the operating room, and we love Scott. We do love Scott. Of course, Scott was an agent of Cosima, so yes. still, still in my previously set up well, statement. Yeah, well, they were clearly very collaborative <laughs> yes. in coming up with this escape plan. It was just Cosima was too physically weak to be in the operating room herself. Plus, she had the oxygen tank. Right. She probably yeah, couldn't I mean, be away from that for very long. Obviously, Cosima so. couldn't have carried it out on yeah. her own. But I do like that. Scott got included. Yeah. Because we do love Scott. We do love Scott. Scott's so nice. Yeah. And hopefully Scott next season. Scott next season. <laughs> you took away my Raj. Give me Scott next season. <laughs> there was nothing in the police station this entire season. There wasn't because Art was on suspension. So there was no Raj. And, and Angie was acting not with the police. Mm -hmm. so. And we only saw Ramon, who I also quite was, was, was a little fancied with once, <laughs> as well as Colin. My boys. I missed my boys. I do recall you saying, if you won't give me Raj, at least I got Ramon. <laughs> yes. We only got Ramon the once. But we got more Scott. We did. And I do like Scott. But it's different, my love for Scott. Oh, okay. Than my love for Raj. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm learning a lot about you. <laughs> I'm glad. So moving into the less intense section of the episode, we get all of this lovely, like, clone club reunion. It's so sweet. In Felix's apartment. And it's just, like, the best thing ever. It was a great, like, I don't know, salve to my soul to see all the clones together in one spot and being lovely to each other. I totally cried, you guys. Did you really? A little bit. Aww. I, got, I did get very emotional. I got teary. I did not tear up, but I was very emotional. Because we get Helena being introduced to all of her sisters, and Cosima just going up and hugging oh, her. Cosima was so sweet to Helena. Cosima was the best to Helena. It makes us happy. It does. And emotional. It does. I might tear up again right now, actually. And then there was the fantastic, fantastic dancing scene, or as you are calling it... <laughs> Clone clubbing. <laughs> 
I'm awful. <laughs> or awesome. Depends <laughs> on who you ask. But Sally will get me. <laughs> Sally will. <laughs> our friend Sally. Who was in our clone science episode, episode 17. <laughs> and our season two speculation episode, yes. yes. But, you know, we get to, I, I, first of all, I thought the song that they chose was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And Kasima Herter posted on Twitter a link to the artists of that song, so we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And they did release an extended version of the dance scene on BBC America's website where they kind of showed you a little bit how they filmed the different pieces of the dance scene with all the different clones. Which was great. It is great. There's there's stuff at the end with, like, all of the cast and crew kind of dancing together, including somebody wearing a horse head. <laughs> I don't know, but it's great. So go w- watch that. We'll put we'll put a link in case you d- have, haven't seen that already. Graham Manson was really busting a move there for he a while. He was. He's a good dancer. He's not bad. But it was, you know... It what was I'm just, hearing is if you ever met Graham Manson, you'd go out clubbing with him. Totally. That's totally what I'm hearing. Well, I would. And hopefully Tatiana Maslany would be coming along, too, because I was also enjoying her dance moves. And Jordan Gavaris, really all of them. Yes. Allison and Felix dancing. Was fantastic. That was so great. Yes. So which which clone are you the closest to dance-wise? Probably Helena. (laughs) (laughs) In public or alone? In public. (laughs) Interesting. We are learning a lot about you, Stephanie. (laughs) I, well... I really have have to have have had a few drinks um, before I'll really so like now get out there. Yeah, so I'm any coordination I might try to maintain is just gone by the time that I'm I'm actually out on the dance floor. So how about you? I'm probably somewhere between Sarah and Allison. Sarah and Allison. Okay, I am so not- more of a controlled, yeah, trying I'm, not to look too silly type of thing. Kind of. It's more like I'm just I'm awkward. It was okay, sort yeah, of my no. thing. Sarah wasn't terribly awkward, but she was no. not Kasima. Kasima was really into it. Yes. As one would expect. And can we all talk about how excited we are that we finally get to see what is presumably the Kasima dance? I know everybody's been wanting to see it. Yes. Because for those who, who are not aware, there's been rumors, or it's true, I guess, that, that Tatiana Maslany, to get into character for Kasima would do this thing that people called the Kasima dance to sort of get into Kasima's movement. Well, she has dances for all of them. Yes. But everybody always wants, wants to see, see the, the Kasima dance. Because I don't think anybody's ever really seen it. Because we've seen the Allison dance. There's behind-the-scenes footage where you can see her doing it. And it's basically sort of ballet moves. But yes, there's an oft-mentioned Kasima dance. And everybody, I think any public appearance that Tatiana makes, somebody asks if they can see it. And the answer is always no. <laughs> so finally, Kasima dance. Though I'm told that in some interview, Evelyn Brochu does her. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there was. Dance. I don't know if there was an interview, but I know there was somebody on Tumblr who like came across them at the Toronto International Film Festival, and she said that Evelyn did it there. Did sort of like a little imitation of it. It was apparently very cute. Okay. Okay. So I don't think there's ever been any type of footage on the Kasima dance, and I feel like this probably was pretty close to what the Kasima dance is, right? One would assume. Yeah. But it was adorable. <laughs> and I'm so glad we got it. Because, I, I mean, I personally, like, really needed that. Right. <laughs> because, again, we were tense this episode, you guys. Yes. The first half of the episode was very, very tense. And it was nice to get this really nice break in the middle. We get... 
just evidence of how much these women have bonded as a group. And it was, it was really wonderful because the dancing is followed by, we, we see the conversation when they're lying in bed together between Sarah and Kasima and Helena overhearing them. And that was just, that was such a great scene. Uh, somebody on Twitter said that it's probably one of their favorite scenes of the entire series. And yeah, it's up there. Yeah. And what's so great too is the, the previous scene, the dancing scene, Kira is there too. Kira and Felix. I'm, I'm glad that Kira and Felix were included in the clone club scene. It's basically visually demonstrating that they're part of the family. And I appreciate that, that they are included in the clone sisterhood. Yeah. Essentially. So it's sweet. And, and it, yes, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it was so heartbreaking to see that scene between Sarah and Kasima, where again, Sarah was just confessing that she can't do this without Kasima. And again, it's just such a nice switch in their relationship from where they, we saw them in season one, where they were just butting heads all the time, probably because they are so similar. But, right. but yeah, but just to see Sarah confessing this to Kasima was so nice. Yes. And I mean, we've had Sarah referring to Kasima as her sister last episode and everything. And, and I think before that too, but being really torn about the situation with Kira and Kasima and what to do because she has gotten to the point where she recognizes her as her sister. And again, that's what makes this whole scene in Felix's loft so significant is because we are really getting a sense of, of how much they've all bonded. And so it's, it's just so sweet that scene and so heartbreaking because it is, or Sarah has accepted Kasima as her sister. And so it's just, Oh, it's, I have feelings. <laughs> I have feelings so much that I can't express them apparently and I'm sorry. And they're like touching hands while they're touching while they're talking and it's just it's such a nice scene. And then you have that moment where you think, "How are they doing that?" Mhm. It's magic. It's magic. It's technological magic. But we see during this conversation where Helena is overhearing them. Yes. And I think it's subsequent to this that she pulls out that container of her frozen fertilized eggs, and then she leaves Felix's loft and gets kidnapped. Yes, she but gets she, black bagged. But she didn't have the eggs with her, so presumably they're still in the apartment somewhere? Yeah, she left them in Felix's apartment to travel light, I guess. But where do we think Helena was going? That's my question. I don't know. It seems like... Because she left behind the hat. Like, was she going to go see Jesse? Yeah, maybe. That's a good question. Because she was sniffing it as she was leaving. <laughs> she did have Jesse's hat. I love that Elena smells everything. We didn't mention this last week, but she was sniffing the the cow embryos and the horse embryos. Oh, and that's stuff. right. She was. She was. I was like, oh, Elena, who smells everything? So, yeah, that's a good point. So, she did have Jesse's hat. Maybe she thought she would go try to find Jesse. But she was having sister, sister time. I mean, where was she going? I wonder. I don't know. I need to rewatch the scene to see or to get a better sense of what part of the conversation it was that they showed her overhearing. Because I wonder, I wonder if there's a clue there. Okay. But yeah, it was great to see Helena back. You know, when we, the little glimpse that we got of her in Art's apartment was hysterical, of course. We didn't see much of art this this episode, just a tiny bit. Right. But we see that Helena clearly is not trusting either her either Art or Felix still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all we got of Art was him babysitting Helena. Mm-hmm. And I do enjoy that. And I love 
I think there was the shot of Helena eating the cereal out of that huge container. And I had a moment of like, gee, that's a lot of cereal art. And then I realized, well, art's got kids. Well, art's got kids. So, you know, it makes sense that he, <laughs> he kind of knows how to deal with Helena. <laughs> 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 yes, I Felix's hint, you know, just feed her until I get there. <laughs> just keep feeding her, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but because that is the way to deal yeah, with her. Yeah. And so we got some some art and Felix time a little bit. We got a little bit of art. Artics. Yeah. There we go. I like to call them. Yes, better than the other way. The alternative, yes. <laughs> but you know, Helena. She gets happy fun times with her sestras, and it's all very sweet. And then the military abducts her, apparently per Mrs. S's trade. She seems to make a trade, Helena for Sarah, with Paul. Damn it. And we're very disappointed in Mrs. S. It makes sense to me why Mrs. S would do it. I can't necessarily blame her for it, because we know that Mrs. S's priority is keeping Kira safe. And, and I would think... And by extension, Sarah safe. Like, she was going to prioritize Sarah and keeping her safe over Sarah's feelings toward her. Yes. You know what I mean? So. Which is, again, is sort of a theme of the season. We've mm-hmm. seen people do that a lot. Make choices for other people that they wouldn't necessarily agree with, but are for their own good or safety or, or at least, lives. Yeah. Per the person making the decision, this is for your own good. But... <laughs> But, I mean, noble intentions, even if it's taking away their autonomy. Yeah. But it is one of those things, too. Part of me wonders if Helena would voluntarily go if she knew that it was in exchange for leaving Kira alone. That's partially why I was kind of annoyed, because I felt like if they talked to Helena and said, you know, this is to help Sarah, this is to help Kira, she might have said, okay, and gone with them. But I'm really curious what the military wants with Helena. I know. I'm I'm upset. And, is it, is and it just because and... she's so highly trained and in assassin clone? Is is this what they're interested in? Kind of her I don't know, her brainwashing process and her, her training? I, I'm just I don't know what they want with her and I'm so worried. I am also worried, and we will be worried for ten months, probably. <laughs> I shook my fist. <laughs> Stephanie is upset about this. Understandably, but Stephanie hasn't had to do the 10-month hiatus before. I haven't. Hang in there, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess we'll go ahead, since, you know, speaking of the military, we get a big reveal at the end of the episode from Marion Bowles, who not only is an ally within Dyad to, to Clone Club, it seems, but she is the mother of a younger generation of clones. She is. Well, a younger generation of clone, because apparently she's the only one. Charlotte. Charlotte. Yes. So that'll be interesting. And I'm I'm wondering if we're going to get more of Marion Bowles next season. Or- I hope so. I, 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 I thought, would hope so, too. I think Michelle Forbes is being pretty awesome in this role. Michelle Forbes is always awesome. Fair enough. I don't think I've ever seen her not be awesome. Admittedly, I didn't love Rolaren when they introduced her, but that's beside the point. <laughs> So, Marion is talking about Topside, which... What the hell is that? What the heck is that? Apparently some corporation, conglomerate, group she belongs to? She even says that you're not going to find really record of this group, it seems like. Yeah, Topside is the 
Shinehart Wig Company to Dyad's NBC. I like it. That's a good analogy. And You're talking about 30 Rock, anybody who doesn't have the slightest clue what I just said. <laughs> but this idea that this clone was maybe born with a disability is interesting to me. Yes, and apparently was the only one who actually was a success of the 400, I think they said 400, right, attempts that they made to duplicate the clone project. Mm-hmm. And then Marion talks about how she, like Sarah's mother, she refers to Sarah's mother twice. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure if she's referring to Mrs. S, to Amelia, to some woman we don't know yet. Did you have a sense? No. Okay. I'm wondering about that, too. I think Sarah's wondering about that, because Sarah had a look when she said it. So, see, we have to have Marion Bowles back next season. Because she knows stuff. Exactly. Which probably means she's going to die. But <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> So I was actually just thinking as you were saying that, oh, maybe she'll be the new Leaky next season. But yeah, that didn't go so well for Leaky. No, so. it didn't. So she says she, like Sarah's mother, is invested. And I thought that was interesting because that was the word Delphine used back in the premiere when she hands Kasima's blood samples over to Leaky, saying, you know, 324B21 is showing symptoms. I'm invested now just like you wanted, I believe is what she says. Yep. Ugh. But hopefully we can trust Marion Bowles again. This is Orphan Black, so I'm like, can we? Can we? I don't know. The fact that she knows stuff, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I want her to spill her guts, but I don't know. Not in a literal sense, you guys. Not in a literal (laughs) sense. I've been watching too much Game of Thrones. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) And she gives us some information. Well, we should say, she tells Sarah, if you want to know what this all is all about, come meet me tomorrow morning or what have you. And she still doesn't entirely say what this was all about. It's something I mentioned a couple, I think a couple episodes ago that even though we met Ethan Duncan, he didn't really tell us what the clone experiment was all about. And still Miriam Bowles hasn't really told us what the clone experiment was all about. Maybe we are getting a better sense with this, you know, revealing of project caster that they were intended to be super soldiers of some kind. Well, Caster was, but was Lita? But was Lita, yeah. Since the project split into two is essentially what we're told, which, again, you know, Dyad, two, and here, Helena and Sarah. Recurring theme, you guys. (laughs) Recurring theme alert. But Caster and mythology, Mrs. S mentions knowing your mythology, Caster is, is probably famous. If you've ever seen the movie Face Off, you know, in that movie, Nicolas Cage's character is named Castor, and his brother's name was Pollux. And that was also, maybe you know it from, from watching Face Off. I'm just going on a tangent here, apparently. <laughs> I have not seen Face Off, for okay. the record. Okay. But in that movie, we had we had brothers named Castor and Pollux. Reference to mythology, same Castor that we're getting here, of these two brothers who, te- they're technically the quote-unquote twins who became Gemini up in the stars, uh, in the constellation. Uh-huh. They weren't... I guess they were technically twins, but one of them was son of Zeus. Pollux was son of Zeus and was divine. Castor was some son of some king whose name I can't remember how to pronounce, and he was not divine. He was human. Mm-hmm. And when Castor was dying, Pollux like asked for his divinity to be shared with with his brother, and oh. that's actually how they kind of became the constellation Gemini was through that connection of shared divinity. And Castor was son of Leda. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
bring it back around. <laughs> Although, here's part of what I find interesting about Project Caster. Apparently, Project Caster was a little slower on the pickup than Project Lita, because the clones are nine years or so younger. Right, because Mark, we see that the clones all look like Mark, and he said he was 19? I believe so. He looks a little older than that, but we'll go with what they say. TV-19. TV-19, yeah, so 27. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but I gotta say, I'm not entirely sure what to think about this whole boy clones thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. It'll depend on how they're gonna play it out. I don't see them in any way losing focus on our female clones. I doubt it. And I, it seems less likely that the clone, the boy clones, the caster clones, are going to be these super nuanced, different characters the way that the female clones are, just because it seemed like they were made for a very specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Cannon fodder. Yeah. As your partner put it. <laughs> but essentially... We, you know, we now have all these new questions about Mark. Does he know that he's a clone? Is he kind of like Paul? Was he instructed to infiltrate the Perlethians the way that, that Paul infiltrated Dyad? Or does, that's my thought. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be the way it plays out, but I'm, I'm intrigued as to the possibility of that, especially since he married Gracie now. Mm -hmm. What does, what's that going to be about? I'm so nervous about it, apparently. Because he's married to Gracie. Gracie is supposedly pregnant with Cosima's... Helena's. Pregnant with Helena's offspring. I don't know why I'm mixing up those two names. Because they both have great hair. <laughs> like your hairs, too. And <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, now they're married, Gracie's pregnant with Helena's offspring, and Mark is now her husband. So is he going to, he's going to have access, for lack of a better word, Ooh. to the female clone's DNA sequence, kind of. And what does that mean? Like, again, I'm just wondering if Mark... And Henrik's I'm wondering if Mark even knows if he's a clone. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it'll depend on how they play this out next season, which, again, I would try to predict, but I can't. Because the Orphan Black writers are smarter than me. I know. But I must say, I've, I had the thought about what if there was a boy clone line, and I was kind of hoping, if they went that route, that the boy clones would be played by Inver Jokai. That would have been awesome. Because mm -hmm. I'm not a huge Dollhouse fan. I'm sorry, Dollhouse fans. But I thought Inver Jokai was fantastic on that show and was really the actor best on that show who really could inhabit each of his different personas very uniquely. How much did I love Inver Jokai as Topher? Yes. That was so great. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about Dollhouse, but but when they were good, they were really, really good. I I enjoyed them. Anyway. But, so we'll see. I haven't really seen enough of this actor, Blanton Mark, whose name I don't even know. I'm sorry. Ari Millen, I believe. Okay. I don't know quite how he would handle playing really unique versions of the male clone, but he may not need to. Because, yeah, we've only seen three so far. One of them was just standing there... And then there's Mark, and then there's the one with a mohawk and a scar, who is crazy, apparently. He's like the Helena of the boy I was going to say, yeah. Interesting hair and a little a little wild. <laughs> Stephanie's making faces at me I as am. I say this. I am. But yeah, so now we have questions like, how did Marion come to have a caster clone in her possession? Like, does she just keep him in the exercise room? Like, what does she do with him exactly? <laughs> 
<laughs> I just like to watch him work out, really. <laughs> I have no response to that. I have no response to that at all. But he had scars on his back. Oh, did he? I missed it that. It looked like he had scars on his back, maybe from gunshot wounds. Mm. So perhaps he was... He was shot and wounded or left for dead or something, and she... I mean, I guess I did assume that he'd been in combat. Because, again, scar on his face, so... And crazy-eyed! Right. <laughs> so there was a, a very severe lack of Delphine in this episode, in my opinion. <laughs> really? I hadn't noticed that you thought that. By the way, you guys, during the episode, she kept saying, Where's the puppy? <laughs> Where's the puppy? <laughs> Pretty much every time that we saw a limousine, I was like, Puppy? <laughs> Is Delphine in there? No, she was not. Because we only saw her in the elevator. Oh, and then she sends an email to Cosima with Rachel's schedule, and we learn that Cosima has Delphine listed as Eskimo Pie in Which her email contacts, contacts, and it's adorable. So cute. Mm -hmm. But yes, I think they finally, I would hope, have cleared up that Delphine was definitively not working with Rachel last episode. No, because she's crying and saying, you used me in this and episode. And then sort of helps Kasima. helps Kasima by giving her Rachel's schedule. So I know there was some speculation out there by people thinking that Delphine had worked with Rachel to kidnap Kira. But this episode, I think, very clearly says, no, that was not the case. Right. Because if you let her die without me, that would be... A betrayal. Yes. No, that would be personal. That's what she says. Yes, that's what it was. And she looked very angry. Very angry. She might gnaw you with her tiny, adorable teeth. Because <laughs> she's a puppy. <laughs> Chris is just laughing at me now. <laughs> I was thinking about the one time you sent me a message that said, except for her face, because yeah. <laughs> Delphine has a good face, all I'm saying. I don't think anybody would argue with you. <laughs> It's but a very I, good face. But I know some people still don't trust Delphine. We're not saying you have to tell, trust Delphine, but I do think she was not working with Rachel last week. Right. And she tries to help Cosima. She sends her her itinerary. She doesn't get to say goodbye, except <laughs> in Cosima's fever dream, I guess. And thank you, Cosima, for opening your eyes, because I would have been very pissed at you if you had been dead. <laughs> That was such a fake out. Yeah. I'm a little mad with the writers for doing that, but at the same time, it resolved okay, so I can't be that mad about it, you know? But now I'm just like, Delphine needs to be back next season. She needs to come back and she needs to help kick Rachel's butt because Rachel's a meanie head. Well, now they've got the new information because Cosima has Duncan's book with the info in it. Because Kira brought it to her. How cute were Kasima and Kira so in this cute. episode? We had never, I don't think we've ever seen them interact before. I don't know that they ever had interacted before. And we got oodles and oodles of really cute anti Kasima and Kira time. It was exactly like fan fiction. Where Kasima teaches her science and it's adorable. Yes. I was smiling throughout that entire scene. Me too. With the pencil and the construction paper. And Kasima was teaching her F equals MA, which is kind of my favorite equation. From physics. I didn't know you had a favorite equation from physics. It is F equals MA. That's pretty dorky. <laughs> but good for you. It makes everything make sense, Stephanie. <laughs> but yeah, so adorable Auntie Cosima and Kira. Kira gives her the island of Dr. Moreau with all of the codes for the for the synthetic sequences, presumably. 
So hopefully Cosima now has in her hands a key to curing her, even though Duncan is dead. But we still have this lag time of stupid Rachel broke all of the bone marrow treatment vials and Kira can't give bone marrow again for another six weeks. I'm so mad, but she doesn't have to because Helena left her embryos. Yes! Okay, so they need to find the embryos and use that to create at least a temporary treatment for Cosima. And she's got the synthetic sequences to build a long-term gene therapy for all the clones. It's all fanfiction fodder. Okay. Get on it, fanfiction writers. Make me happy. <laughs> but yes. That that was so sweet that Kiro wanted Cosima to read her more stories. And, and that whole scene where she was trying to wake her up, which giant fake-out... Orphan Black Riders, and then Cosima has the weird vision with Delphine. So is Delphine, like, a puppy angel? What What is she now? She's apparently a puppy angel because there was followed by... Because she says to Cosima, I'll never leave you, right? Yeah, I believe so. Something, something like a, that. Something to that effect. And then we hear when, at the end of a, of a scene... Well, at the beginning of a scene, when Cosima is concluding a book that she's reading to Kira, Kira says something like, So the puppy followed the explorer the entire way? So I think that's definitely a clue of little a little nod from uh, the writers. Yeah, that Delphine is not just abandoning her beloved Cosima. She's going to come back and and help her. Hopefully she didn't get on that plane to Germany. Yes. Even though Rachel told her she should. Stupid Rachel. We're very concerned about Delphine's whereabouts apparently. Apparently, save Cosima, save the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be save the puppy, save Cosima? There we go. Because one would assume that Delphine would want to help yes. with that. Yes. And because of her face. Because, yeah. <laughs> so besides Mrs. S's crack about she can use the internet, I love that she corrected Cal's spelling of her name. <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> it's with a B-H. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I just kind of like that, that Cal apologized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like, like Cal. Cal. <laughs> and I like the smooches between Sarah and Cal. That made me happy. I'm wondering where Paul's at in regards to Sarah. He seemed to still be concerned about her because he helped rescue her. I love Mrs. S was kind of like, how, how does, does she, she do, do it? it? <laughs> I think you know Mrs. S. <laughs> Same way you do, Mrs. Yes, S, international she, badass. She learned it from you. <laughs> that just kind of sounds dirty, but that's not how I mean it. <laughs> My mind did not even go there. Okay. And then we wanted, oh, we wanted to mention Dr. Nealon, stupid Dr. Nealon with his stupid face and his invasive <laughs> medical procedures. But his name. But his name. I think came from Aubrey Nealon, who is one of the producers and writers of Orphan Black. So we're sorry, Aubrey Nealon, that you're a bad guy who I want to punch in the face. But maybe you like that. Not getting punched in the face. I just mind fail at this episode, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> Drink some more. <laughs> I'm all out. <laughs> I also was kind of sad that it looked like Felix's awesome coat did not seem to come back with Helena. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, because Helena came back in the Prolethean, the farming Prolethean clothes. Yeah. Which were significantly less awesome than Felix's coat. Yeah, and I'm, and that makes me wonder if Felix's coat got burned up in the fire, and that makes me sad because I love that military type coat. It was a pretty good coat. It's a fantastic coat. Although we did get that awesome scene of Helena with the Prolethean dress in her mouth while she was dancing. <laughs> that was pretty great. 
That entire scene is apparently already near and dear to my heart. It was a fantastic scene. It's so good. You got to really see sort of the different physicality of each of the different clones, and it was the bonding, and it was just so great, Chris. I know. It was so great. I know. Drunken feelings, you guys. I'm not drunk. I'm maybe a little tipsy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and we also wanted to mention, speaking of sort of repeated phrases, that when Duncan and Sarah cross paths in the elevator, uh, Professor Duncan says to Sarah, don't despair, Sarah. Mm, mm -hmm. Presumably referring to the fact that Kira had the genetic sequences. And that is the same phrase that Sammy sent in his message with Tony for Beth Childs was, don't despair. Yes. Paul's a ghost just like me. What does it all mean? (laughs) And it could be incidental, but you never know. But yeah, it it may not be significant that they're the same wording. It may not mean that they're like working together or something like that, but I think it is meaningful that they chose a similar phrase from each of the characters. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it is a repeated message to Clone Club, we should not despair. There you go. Over these next long, long months without new episodes. I'm bereft. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you and I both had a moment where we got really sad just there. (laughs) But we'll we'll talk about the existing two seasons uh, extensively over the ten months. Yes. Which will help us pass the time. Oh, the other question that I had that we didn't mention. Your hands are hilarious as you're saying that, by the way. (laughs) The other question I had that we didn't mention was we see Mrs. S talking on the phone to somebody saying... An Amber Alert isn't a possibility. If I tell you to make a car bomb, you will make a car bomb. Oh, I missed that. That was the beginning of it. About the Amber Alert? Yes. I only caught that the second time that we kind of, we didn't rewatch it really, but we saw parts of it again. And she mentions an Amber Alert not being a possibility. Mm-hmm. Who was she talking to exactly at that point? I was it Paul? Who was it? I don't think so. It. I don't think it would make sense for it to be Paul. No, I don't either. Carlton? I don't know. Yeah. So I was curious about that for sure. Who was she talking to on the phone? Right. Especially since she's apparently cut ties with the bird watchers, since the bird watchers couldn't be trusted. Mm-hmm. Bunch of jerks. But maybe it was Benjamin or perhaps mm-hmm. one of her other trusted security people. Right. But yes, there's so much to talk about between the end of this season and next season. There is, I think, sometime soon... We're going to be participating in an Orphan Black Podcasters Roundtable following up on Season 2. So we'll be talking Season 2 with other Orphan Black Podcasters. And we'll just be talking about Seasons 1 and 2 generally. Over the next several months, we are planning to to produce podcasts over the hiatus. We haven't quite figured out a schedule yet. We might switch to just bi-weekly episodes for a time. But we will let you know when we figure that all out. We've, we've got some... Guests lined up, some guest contributors, so should be interesting. Let us know if you have any anything that you want us to talk about, or if you're maybe interested in being a guest contributor, let us know. Make sure to include in that message what you want to talk about. Yes. Because guest contributors are the ones who choose their topics. Yes. So. If you're interested in being a guest contributor, have a topic in mind you want to talk about. It's great if you want to be a guest contributor, but we need you to ha- to know what you want to talk about first. Yes. And thank you to everybody who sent us their input on the episode. 
We got a number of voicemails and a, I think a lot more emails, right? Yes. So I, I actually neglected to include a voicemail from Katrin from last week's episode. So we'll play that now. And thank you and sorry, Katrin. Hello, this is Katrin. Uh, I just finished watching episode 209, Things Which Have Never Yet Been Done. And holy crap, this episode was just full of, it was, wow. Um, very happy that Helena got away from the Prometheans. Also glad that Gracie did. Um, and I am terrified for Kira because, oh my God, Rachel has her and what the heck is going on? And was Delphine in on that plot with Rachel? Because she said to Kasima that she made a terrible mistake, but she also just genuinely seemed to be trying to hope. So I don't know if Delphine was set up or Delphine was setting up. I'm not quite clear on that. And um, basically, wow, that was just an amazing episode. Um, I'm going to watch it again now. So bye. Can't wait till the podcast. So I think most of what Katrin... I think everything Katrin was talking about was resolved in the finale. And we are doing the feedback a little differently this week because it seemed like there was a lot of overlap from what we received. So we're kind of doing it by topic rather than by person for for most of this. So let's start first with people's thoughts about Rachel, because we had a couple of people who seemed to think that Rachel might be dead. Both Janice and Lisa seemed to think that she might be dead. But I don't think that's what they were going for. I think that the implication was just that she had lost an eye. Yeah, I think the last we see of her, she's sort of spasming on the floor, indicating that she's not dead. Of course, it's possible that there's some sort of, you know, I I don't know, there might be brain damage, I guess, possibly. But I don't think... I don't think there's solid evidence to assume she's dead, especially since it's TV. Mm -hmm. And never assume anyone is dead. And I've seen on Grey's Anatomy where people have come in with like things stuck in their brains, but it didn't actually cause any brain damage. And they just kind of pulled it out and stitched the person up and they were okay. So (laughs) definitely eye damage. But I, I don't think they were trying to imply that Rachel was dead dead. Right. I mean, I don't know about the brain damage. I'm just saying that I think that would be maybe the worst. Yeah, that would be I agree. Uh, logical at this point. And then Bob apparently was surprised that there was just one pencil involved in the in the big weapon that Kasima and Scott built. And he says, one pencil. Their big we- weapon against Rachel was one pencil? What if it bounced off her nose? Was Willow Rosenberg guiding it? <laughs> So I like that he included a Buffy reference. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> well, well, because Bob's the one who last week, I think, said that he was looking forward to a Buffy reference. So he just took care of it for us this week. Exactly. Uh, and apparently he expected a whole swarm of pencils. I don't know if they could have done that effectively with that simple mechanism that they that they built. But yes, it is very lucky that the pencil landed where it did. I think it could have done some damage elsewhere, but not nearly as much as if it hadn't hit her in the eye. Right. Yeah, that's Sarah's trademark luck, I would think, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. Hello, this is Katrin. 
I have just finished the finale, and words are having difficulty being formed, but um, boy clones, at first I thought it was going to be uh, Jordan Gavaris, but it's clones of Mark, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm confused and concerned, and oh my god, um, wow, the dance party was great. Why did Helena leave? Um, um, uh, looks like Kasima's gonna be okay because she's got the code that she needs and she's gonna save herself and that's good. Severe lack of Delphine. Paul's a good guy. Um, what am I missing? I don't know. I'm gonna hang up now. I love the podcast. Oh, a pencil. Rachel, is she dead? Is she? I don't know. If not, is she going to be Rachel, pirate Rachel? Is she going to wear an eye patch? Because <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, and, um, oh, Duncan poisoned himself, which um, I called, which was nice. And, um, yes. And, um, yes, I'm going to hang up now because I'm rambling. So bye for the podcast. And then we got a lot of people talking about the male clones, because, of course, this is the big reveal in the finale. And we were really divided as far as feedback goes as to whether people were excited about the male clone possibility or maybe a little wary about the male clone possibility. Janice, I I thought, had an interesting comment. She says, I don't think the Project Caster storyline will be a distraction, nor do I believe that it will detract from Tatiana's future performances on air. If anything, I see it as the writer's way to touch upon the topic of sexism and gender roles. So I thought that was an interesting comment, sort of in favor of adding the male clones. Mm -hmm. And then Bob was a little hesitant. (laughs) Apparently he had hoped that they would be Felix clones. And... Colby and Jessalyn were a lot more measured in sort of their their reaction to the male clones. Colby mentioned that he feels like there are so many loose ends with the Central Clone Club characters that throwing in the dude clones, as he says, may threaten to just wipe out the main appeal of the series, at least for him. And then Jessalyn said, I've always hoped but that they wouldn't introduce another set of clones, but I knew they inevitably would. They've really expanded the Orphan Black universe this season, and particularly in this episode, introducing Project Caster and the military topside and a younger version of a Project Lita clone. I have faith in the showrunners, but I just hope that this expansion doesn't take too much focus off of Sarah, the clone club, and more character-based elements of the story. And and I agree. I, I do have that concern. I don't want to lose focus on our female clones, but I, I'm trying to have faith in the writers that that won't happen. I'm fairly certain I saw a quote from either John or Graham confirming that it wouldn't pull focus from the main storyline and the main set of clones. They are going to be more sort of a side series of clones, as I understand it. And then Jesslyn also mentioned, I saw a lot of people saying they had hoped it would be Felix was the clone, but personally, I'm really glad they didn't go down that path. He's already such an important member of the clone club. And I'm also in agreement with that. I like, I'm kind of, I feel like Jordan Gavaris could have done a really good job playing multiple characters. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of a, a little disappointed in that. But at the same time, Felix is such like the heart of the show. I think it's important that there's only one of him. Yes. And of course, I mean, then we're getting into the whole thing where, you know, but having clones doesn't detract from how special the individuals are. Yes, I know. But I, I agree that 
Felix is so much, as we've talked about in other episodes before, he's sort of, in a lot of ways, the the character that the other characters all sort of revolve around a little bit. You know, he can he can float from one character's storyline to another in ways that some of the other characters maybe can't. And he's just such a rock for the clones to really lean on that I think... Which is kind of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But in a much more awkward way than you're <laughs> saying it. So yeah, I think that because he provides such support to the other clones, it's good that he is separate from that experience. But that's just me personally. I understand why some people disappointed because again, I think Jordan would have done a fantastic job playing different characters. You're right though. He does provide that important sort of objective perspective. Yeah. A lot of the time for for the clones. So speaking of the male clones, Davia sent in some questions about Mark, and she asks, did Henrik know Mark, Gracie's boyfriend, was a clone? Does Mark know he is a clone? Is this why Henrik did not use Mark's sperm to fertilize Helena's eggs? Was Mark a way of setting up the Perlethians? And we did mention some of these questions earlier. And in an interview, a post-episode interview with Graham Manson and John Fawcett, the way that they answered some questions suggested that Mark doesn't know that he's a clone. So there's at least, hope if they're unless they're lying, which they might be. <laughs> <laughs> they do that, we now know. They do that. It's, they are suggesting that he is not aware of the fact that he is a clone. Therefore, probably Henrik didn't know either. Interesting. I'm going to have to think about that for a while. And then we had a couple of questions about Paul, which John and Graham's interview I think cleared up as well from both Davia and Jessalyn being confused if they were, if this episode was suggesting that he'd been with Project Caster the whole time and was, was spying on Project Leader or, or was a operative of the military the whole time. And yes, John and Graham's interview seemed indicated that yes, he has been operating as a double agent, essentially a military personnel working undercover for Dyad the entire time we've known him. Working undercover at Dyad, not for Dyad. Did for I say, the military. Did I at say for? Dyad. Sorry. You did say for Dyad, yes. I meant for the military at Dyad. Excuse me. Okay. But yeah, I kinda called this, right? Yes. That was that was my theory, you know, before. Yeah. <laughs> before the big reveal. Yes. Because and, and we I guess we should say we are recording this portion of the episode later than <laughs> Then our initial reactions were it's a couple days out, so we've had time to like read interviews and things like that. So And sober up. Well that too. Though I am drinking <laughs> a beer right now, so who knows? <laughs> and then there's a lot of questions this week. It seems like are people dead? We're not sure if they're dead. <laughs> and as far well, as I think, we know, I think a lot of it was that everybody was expecting somebody to die. Right. And the only one who did was Ethan Duncan. Yes, as far as we know. And so know. then everybody, because again, we're all traumatized Joss Whedon fans, or at least a lot of us are. So I think it's kind of like, that. it couldn't just be him, right? Like, somebody else definitely died, right? <laughs> it's like, we've, we've got post-Joss stress syndrome. <laughs> so yes, we got other questions about the scene with Delphine, where the big fake out that Kasim is dead, naughty writers. And then they show Delphine in some ethereal state, reaching down to her. I'm pretty darn sure she's not supposed to be dead. I think that was just a dream sequence that we saw there. Right. I concur. 
I know I referred to her as Puppy Angel Delphine or Angel Puppy Delphine. I forget which way I phrased it, but angelic Delphine rather than like actually uh, an angel. Anyway. So both Janice and Cornelia asked about that. And then we had several people kind of wondering about the the state of Delphine and Cosima's relationship next season. And uh, Lisa asked, with Rachel incapacitated or dead, we don't think she's dead again, will Delphine get a reprieve from her banishment to Frankfurt? And I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see something about, you know, why was Delphine going from Dyad? Like, why did she go? And I'm like, well, she was in the elevator with a security guard. Yeah, I think she was. So being I think the implication, out. right? The implication was that they were like forcibly removing her. So I guess it depends on whether they were forcibly taking her to the airport, too. Right. Because it's Dyad, and you can never quite tell. They're shady. They're really shady people. Yeah, because that that is similar to what Jesslyn asked. Because Jesslyn was wondering, I have to wonder what Dyad has over her to make her leave Kasima in her current health state. And she says, I hope she gets a bigger part to play next season. And I think we agree with that because we like Delphine. We do. We like Delphine and her face. <laughs> and her hair. And but her hair. Just all of her. We, yeah. we just like all of her. We enjoy, we enjoy all of Delphine. Hey guys, this is Sally. So holy crap, that was a great episode. And... I'm really looking forward to what you two have to say about the plot and the characters and who we can trust and what's going to happen and all the things. But here's what I wanted to say that I loved. So the clone clubbing dance scene with all four of the Tatiana Maslany's dancing was one of the most amazing things that I have ever seen on television. And it was awesome. And here's something that I specifically liked about it. I like that Helena was there and that she was totally integrated with the sisters and the clones um, because she's been separated from them for a lot of the time. So I loved it that she got to have an Auntie Helena moment with Kira and that she got to dance uh, with all of her sisters and her sister brother. I do think that I'm a little weary of watching Helena get kidnapped, though, so I hope she can free herself again. I can't believe we have to wait for however long until season three. Have they announced season three? What's going on? All right. Bye, guys. And then I think my favorite part of the feedback that we got was we got a three pretty different, well, I guess there was a couple of them are similar, but three kind of different theories as to why Helena was taken away by the military. And Janice says, I'm still wondering why Helena was taken away. I'm thinking maybe to preserve her as a subject to study, since the military has to stay hands off of Sarah. And then Bob says, I assume that Mrs. S made a deal to give them someone that they could continue their fertility experiments on in exchange for Sarah and Kira. This is consistent with the way Mrs. S has been played. We don't know whether she is good or evil, but she is acting to protect Kira. And then... Colby says, here's how I think we're supposed to see the story. Cal and Siobhan hatch the idea to turn Helena over to the military in return for the military providing Marion with information on Project Castor. Marion then agrees to let Kira and Sarah go free. And then he says, what? 
Marion already has a dude clone in her freaking basement. If Marion is supposed to be a, a good insider in a corrupt organization, as Siobhan tells Cal, why would she enter a deal that puts another sister in captivity? And this is a good question. I guess I didn't explicitly have the impression that Marion was involved in Paul getting Helena. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that either. I mean, I, I guess I didn't think about that aspect of it. Hard to tell, right? Right. I think for sure there seemed to be, there was an exchange going on where Siobhan wanted Cal's contact, i.e. Marion, to help Kira and Sarah. And it seemed like maybe Marion was trading information with the military for Castor. So it seemed like maybe she was saying to Mrs. S, give me information about Project Castor and I will help you. And perhaps it was Siobhan who made the deal with Paul to get Helena to fulfill her end of providing that information to Marion. It sounds all very confusing, and it wasn't made explicitly clear what that exchange all involved. We just kind of saw the after effects. Mm -hmm. But yes, I, I think we mentioned before, we are very curious to see why the military wants Helena and what exactly they're going to do with her. And frankly, if they're going to be able to handle her. <laughs> That's always my thought is like, but how long are they really going to be able to, to keep Helena? And really, do they have the slightest clue what they've gotten themselves into? Yeah, I kind of wonder. Yeah. I, I, I hope they've sufficiently stocked their pantry. <laughs> Both their pantry and their first aid kit. Yes. Because she's going to eat everything they have. And then she just, you know, she might decide to, to leave by any means necessary. Flying squirrel attack. Yeah, there will be eye gouging. There will be chokeholds. Yeah. And it will be glorious. <laughs> this is Emily, uh, reporting back on season finale of Orphan Black. Um, I love the episode. It was flooring. I don't think I caught everything, and I am going to go have to go back and rewatch so that I can catch everything that went on. Uh, the four clone dance scene was amazing. Uh, I'm very happy that Kasima is not dead. It's big plus. Dying is much, much, much better than dead. Um, Helena was kidnapped again. It's like, oh man, not again, Helena. But then again, Helena's pretty hard to keep a hold on. And I think that uh, the military might have their hands full trying to keep Helena contained. Um, you know, they did leave on a hopeful note with the embryos in Felix's loft in a nitrogen tank. Of course, no one has noticed that they are there. Will anyone notice? I guess I'll find out in about 10 months. Uh, it was a brilliant episode. I was very happy with it. Loved the four clone dance scene. Always wanted to see the clones dance, especially after learning that's how Tatiana gets into character. And loved it. Got to see the Kasima dance. Always wanted to see that. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. This is just a shout out how much I love the show. Whoever watched this, I love it. It's my favorite thing on television. And have a nice night. And then pretty much everybody who wrote in mentioned how much they enjoyed all of the clone club bonding that we got in this episode. And it both like the dance scene as well as like the lovely scene between Sarah and Kasima in the bed. And I forgot to mention when we recorded earlier that I also really loved when we see Cal leaving Felix's loft where... <laughs> Allison and Casima like give their approval. Like he's hot, yeah. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times in the past two days I have seen the gif of 
Kasima giving approval. <laughs> it is all over Twitter and Tumblr now that Twitter has has GIF uh, capabilities. Capacity. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that's going to start showing up regularly on Tumblr when people just want to say they approve of something generally, not cl- not necessarily Orphan Black related, but, you know. It'll become one of those, like, yeah, okay, gifts that people just add as commentary to things. I think that may have already started, actually. See? Yeah. But I did wanted to mention D. She sent in a very short note, but she she said, Shock, cringe, sad face for Kasima was my expression for this entire episode until the dance sequence to end all dance sequences. And I wanted to mention D because she said that her reaction to learning there were male clones was going into her kitchen and asking her father, Are you Tatiana Maslani? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> oh. I wanted to read this bit that that Greg said in because he said that he thought he was going to hate the clone dancing, but he loved it. He said, I was afraid this finale was going to be violent and there would be many deaths occurring, but that really wasn't the case. I don't mind if the show goes to dark areas, but I love that there is some joy to it, some sense of feeling and hope at the end of the episode. I can go into the hiatus with questions, but not bothered by a really big cliffhanger. Yes, I agree. Because I think we were, again, we were all braced for something really horrible, I think. And just, I mean, how refreshing that, no, it's it's clone clubbing. Of course, at the time, I think everybody's a little worried because, like, is Kasima going to be okay is always weighing on all of our minds, I'm pretty sure. But Yeah, because we had Colby and Jessalyn, who actually mentioned specifically, were like, I liked the clone club dance party. But I was starting to feel that this was everybody being really happy before Kasima died. <laughs> and yeah. Jocelyn actually said, I blame Joss Whedon for this. <laughs> <laughs> See, Trump traumatized Joss Whedon fans. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was funny. I was talking to my dad about this earlier. And my dad was like, oh, I was just, you know, that was a really great scene. But but if Kasima was that sick, should she really be taking the cannula out of her nose? <laughs> He was apparently very worried for her during that entire scene. And she does have that part where she starts, she like puts her hands to her chest and she looks like she's having trouble breathing. I'm just like, no, but it's okay. Everything's okay for now. It's going to be okay. I have hope. Yeah. Well, my thought was, because I was also a little concerned, but then it's like, you know, she's never more than about six or 10 feet away from the oxygen tank. No, no. And she's surrounded by family. So I wasn't that worried about her. If she was feeling a little lightheaded, I, I thought she probably had enough common sense to go put the nose tubes back in. The sexy nose tubes. <laughs> and then we had a few points that people made that were a bit more on the unique side that I wanted to share. And Lisa mentions, after uh, after Rachel trying for so long to get Sarah to come to Dyad, that whole part of the episode seemed to be resolved awfully fast. And yes, it was rather surprising that the episode begins with Sarah giving her unconditional surrender to Dyad, and that really only lasts for about half an episode. Which I think was also part of why we were all so nervous going into it, right? Because, oh no, Sarah is surrendering herself. It's going to end the season with her stuck there, and how are they going to get her out? But oh, no, they're going to free her halfway through the episode, which was awesome. But I do really wish that we had gotten one kind of follow-up scene at Dyad to that whole situation. And especially I would have loved to have seen Marion talking to Rachel about the fact that Sarah was let free. Because I, I don't see how Marion would hide the fact. And she didn't seem to be 
hiding the fact that she was helping Kira and Sarah leave. Right. Well, because she was hanging out in Kira's room with Kira, and we know there are cameras all over there. So yeah. So I and I think that would have also clarified if if Rachel was dead or not. If we could have had one more one more scene, so I would have I would have liked one more scene with where we got to see at least the starting of some of the consequences of the fact that Marion helped Sarah and Kira leave Dyad. Maybe they want us to be wondering if Rachel is actually dead or not. Maybe. I don't know. And then Colby was ve- <laughs> Colby was very upset that there was almost no Allison in this episode. He says, This is unforgivable for the season finale. The only good thing one can glean from a brief appearance is that she and Donnie are still on track to saving their marriage. I don't know. I'm kind of okay with the amount of Allison we got just because there was a lot of her last episode and they really resolved her storyline for the season in that episode. So, yeah, I kind of agree. Like, I always want to see more Allison. It's not that I don't want to see Allison, but I don't really see how she could have been in this episode more and not have just been in the way, so to speak. Right. Because they really did wrap up her storyline for the season last episode. And she was in. She's in a relatively good place, so I'm, I'm kind of cool with it, you know, because the big stories of people in peril in this episode were all about Sarah and Kasima mostly. So and Kira, of course. But I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm okay with it because I wasn't worried about Allison anymore. And then we had a couple of people, I guess, were were wondering if Rachel could come back from where we see how far we see her how evil we see her go in in this season finale and and Annette says Rachel the sister from hell she has no soul as Kasima said in a previous episode she is just plain mean a machine however I was surprised that she referred to Sarah as her sister Rachel resents Sarah so I don't know if she can be transformed and I think while we did get to see a surprising amount of emotion from Rachel in this episode yeah, we have also said I don't I don't know if they can redeem Rachel the way that they've been able to redeem Helena several times. Mm-hmm. And I frankly was quite upset when Rachel called Sarah sister. I was like, no, you do not get to call her that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have said that during the episode. I did. I yelled it at the screen. <laughs> yeah. It sounded very familiar. <laughs> you guys, you would not believe how upset Stephanie has been with Rachel. I'm very upset with her. Very. She's She's been taking a stern tone anytime she discusses Rachel. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not her. I'm not her. <laughs> Stand down, Stephanie. <laughs> Stand down. And then Jessalyn. Jessalyn said, love the scene of Helena meeting her sisters and reuniting with Kira. It's amazing how far her character has come from the beginning of the series, considering she murders Katya and then tries to kill Sarah when we first meet her. And... And is now so endearing and sympathetic. I wonder if the same can happen for Rachel, or maybe she's too far gone. And yeah, it was wonderful. Especially, we didn't really talk about it, but especially that super sweet moment where Helena says hello to Kira in this episode. Oh, oh so cute. I missed your little face. I'm going to eat your finger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and while the other sisters sort of look on with the sort of... Oh, it looks on their faces and it, oh, that whole scene, you guys. If you weren't crying by then, you were crying then. Maybe. I don't know. If you're prone to crying during television. (laughs) 
Hey, Chris and Stephanie, this is Brooke. I thought it'd be nice to you this time and send audio feedback rather than making you read my email. Cosima says, You're the wild type, Sarah. You propagate against all odds. You know, you're restless. You survive. These lines spoken by Cosima immediately triggered thoughts of microbiology and bacterial phenotypes. Wild type generally refers to the prevalent genetic type or set of traits that are found in nature. Mutants have mutations that make them able to survive in environments that the wild type cannot. For example, the majority of a given bacteria is susceptible to streptomycin. These are the wild types. The mutants are the select few who have acquired the gene for resistance to streptomycin. These will survive exposure to that which will kill the wild type. While there are definitely aspects to Sarah that are more wild type, such as her ability to conceive, she is wild type compared to the world. However, within her set of clones, I would argue that she is actually more mutant than the rest of them. She has that little mistake, that resistance gene, that allows her to do things that the others of her batch or generation cannot. Now, these mutations can also make the mutants susceptible to things that the wild type are made to handle. Some mutant bacteria can only grow in the antibiotic that was supposed to kill them, and either die or do not grow in what can be considered a standard environment. I am very interested to see if we discover something about Sarah that is similar to this. Does she have something that can destroy her that the other clones do not have to worry about? I am merely a humble biology undergrad student, so I would love if someone wiser than I am would call in and share their insight on this as well. Thanks for all the podcasts, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the finale. And as Brooke alludes to, but is kind enough to not explicitly say, we are not smart enough about biology to know about this. So please call in with your thoughts, somebody who is. So we'd love to hear, if, if you haven't already, we'd love to hear your thoughts about the season finale. You can send us those thoughts in a variety of ways. You can send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 38. Or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right hand side of the website. We are also on Twitter at TIE podcast and we're on Facebook. And this week, Jem, Aja, Shayna, and Kimber, and also Rhea, and probably also Synergy, were played by Tatiana Maslani. Thanks for listening. <laughs>